You're listening. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to the Learning Futures. The Learning Futures. The Learning Futures podcast. Welcome to the Learning Futures Podcast. I'm one of your hosts and producers, Clarin Collins, and joining me today is my colleague and co-host, Sean Leahy. Hi, Sean. Hey, Clarin. All right. Well, today we have the honor and privilege of being joined by two of our colleagues, if I can lump myself in with the two of them. Um, they are two directors who are affiliated with the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University, and both of these guests are deeply involved and committed to rethinking and redesigning education. And today, we look forward to discussing the futures of education, including a little bit about our teacher preparation programs, the education workforce, and public schools. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guests. First, we have Brent Madden, the Executive Director of the Next Education Workforce. In this role, Brent collaborates with colleagues across ASU, P12 educators, and the community to redesign models of schooling based on teams of educators with distributed expertise. Team-based models help address many of the reasons educators leave the profession by creating more equitable and sustainable ways to enter and advance the profession. We also have Robin Lake, the director of the Center on Reinventing Public Education, a nonpartisan research and policy analysis organization developing transformative evidence-based solutions for K-12 public education, and this recently became affiliated with our Teachers College. Robin leads teams conducting research on students and families within education systems, examining how education systems work, innovations to improve teaching and learning, and politics of change, looking at strategies for improving education. Welcome, Brent and Robin. <laughs> hey, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, welcome, it. Brent, Robin, and Clarin. Take a well-deserved breath I know. after that introduction. <laughs> Gotta love these academic introductions. We pack all the vernacular and verbiage in there. <laughs> so as we begin today's conversation, I wanted to give just a little bit of context for our listeners. So Brent and Robin, bear with me and then help correct as we get going on this. Um, the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College started rethinking teacher preparation kind of from the outside in just about six years ago when our dean, Carol Basile, arrived at the Teachers College. Carol has led the college and challenged the field to rethink educator preparation and change systems that aren't working in order to provide learners with the professional educators and leaders. So while we have amazing groups of faculty and leaders here within the college working to redesign our teacher preparation curriculum, We've also changed the ways in which we're working with community and school partners, particularly in how we're promoting and encouraging teams of educators in lieu of the one teacher, one classroom model. So Brent, um, perhaps as the more tenured between you and Robin with your affiliation here with the Teachers College, I think you can also help to add a bit uh, to this context and tell us how your role came to be and maybe a bit more about the next education workforce. Uh, ha happy to, Claret. <laughs> Thank you. I, I guess I would start by saying that prior to coming to ASU, I spent the better part of two decades uh, in, in many ways tightening the screws on teacher preparation, right? With the idea or the thought being that if we could get preparation just right, people would stay in the profession. They'd stay longer. They'd feel more successful. And um, I've come to believe that no amount of screw tightening is actually going to fix this problem. That in fact, we have created 
uh, and, and I'm an educator, right? Like academic, you know, titles, whatever aside, like at the end of the day, I'm a teacher, right? And, uh, it, and I channel that every day in this work about just how hard and rewarding, but how hard the job of being a teacher is. And so when we talk about a next education workforce, we're talking about ways that we might bring caring adults around young people differently. And specifically, we're talking about how we might bring teams of educators who share common rosters of students and can leverage their distributed passion, expertise, superpowers in a way that actually allows them to deliver on the promise of deeper and personalized learning, not for some kids, but for all kids. And at the moment that you do that, the moment that you start to back away from the one teacher, one classroom, default normative model of schooling, you actually create new ways to enter the profession, new ways to, to uh, specialize in particular areas of this very challenging work, and, and new ways to advance in the profession that might not mean that you have to leave uh, the classroom and become an administrator. That's that's it. That's what we're up to. <laughs> that, that's it. All, just, just, all easy. Just that. Just <laughs> that, that sounds great. And I know we're going to um, have you talk a little bit more about that. But there's obviously reasons why we brought the two of you together today to have this conversation. So before we dive into it, um, Robin, can you share a bit with us about how the center came to be newly affiliated with the Teachers College? Well, it um, it was happy, um, happy coincidence, um, I think that, you know, I learned about what, um, what the Teachers College is doing to um, what it's been doing for, for so many years, but has, has been doing recently around the workforce reinvention. Um, Brent and I have known each other for some number of years, and, and we've, we started talking during the pandemic about just, you know, the work that he was doing and, and, and his colleagues and it was exciting. Um, and we've been thinking hard about how to push our own thinking, how to, how to kind of rise to the occasion of the pandemic, which really, you know, for me, um, puts a, a spotlight on issues that we've been working on for 30 years, but creates a new urgency to approach them in really radically different ways. Um, so, you know, my big takeaway from from the pandemic right now is, you know, the kids and the adults are not okay. We've got, you know, we've got to think about leapfrog solutions to move us forward. Stuff that, you know, has got to be boundary spending, has got to be out of the box. But the kids and adults were not okay before the pandemic either. Uh, we know that, right? We, we, we all talk about how the pandemic really exposed inequalities that were hardwired into the system. That, um, that have to be dealt with as we think about rebuilding and reengaging and reimagining. And then as we shoot forward to think about, you know, the jobs of the future, the realities of civic education in the future, that's another um, set of urgencies that, you know, compels us to really think differently. And so the partnership between SERPI and the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College is really about those boundary spanning solutions and teacher workforce is one of them, but we know that that's interconnected to all kinds of systems questions and that's where we focus. So we look at things like, well, how do we set up assessment and accountability systems? How do we fund schools? How do we set up staffing structures and professional development systems to be able to support really different approaches? How do we think about, um, 
you know, the, the new kinds of models of schooling that push the boundaries of what's possible for kids, see them as really the X to solve for, and think about the school as, you know, only a, a set of possible solutions for that kid, not necessarily a, a building. Uh, so that's where the space where we play where we play is. And I just couldn't be more excited to partner with all of you to, to dig into these issues. Uh, we're here to learn and um, think about ideas with you. It's cool stuff. That sounds great. It's, it's great to have you guys with us and learn more about your work and, and look at the ways these synergies can be expanded. Um, so you've kind of spoken to this, but maybe Brent back to you now, but any other opportunities for you now that I know that you guys have a history before um, the center became affiliated with the Teachers College, but what do you see as other opportunities for your work given this new um, partnership or relationship with the center? Well, I mean, like anything that that Robin and her team at the center, right? Like, I mean, that's like, that's top of my reading list uh, almost always. And it's been that way for, for you know, years and years. Um, because right, it, there's two things that I love about Robin and her work. One um, is that it is like so practical, right? That it is actually happening, and uh, it's it's pointing uh, me and others in the field, I think, in, in productive directions that we might not be paying attention to. And that two, that there is this focus on systems. Because uh, one of the reasons that I'm so attracted to ASU, right, is like not only are we number one in innovation, so say the buses <laughs> driving around Tempe, uh, but, um, but, but more than that, it's this idea that scale matters and that we should be measured by who we include as opposed to who we exclude and how well those people do when they're with us, right? As part of the universities, not just the colleges, the universities charter. And that is just, it feels so resonant with the work that Robin and team do this focus on, you know, yeah, it's fine. If like I do a great thing in my classroom or uh, at my school, but no, like, what does this mean actually at the level of, of systems? Because it turns out that a lot of these systems are what cause um, innovation to be enduring, hmm. right? That they, they can survive past the the change in a principal, the change more more to the point in a superintendent, right? That it isn't something that is um, someone's pet project, but rather like no, it's it's actually woven into the the actual infrastructure and the systemization, the incentive uh, structures of a of a system. And like the work that we are doing now with the next education workforce is that if, if we're not thinking about this in a systems level way, I don't think that we're thinking about it in the right way. And so to be able to work with Robin and her team on the, 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 the actual systems level work um, that, that is more than just the way that we're staffing in an individual classroom is so incredibly exciting to me. I have to say one thing in response to that. The um, the center was founded um, uh, on the idea that you know there were study after study of effective schools out there. We kind of knew what it took to to create an effective school, but they were isolated and they weren't available to all kids. And you know why was that? <laughs> that was our central founding question: was you know why is that, and what can we do about it? And and that's the work I think, right? Like you know the combination of imagining 
what makes for a powerful student-teacher relationship, life-changing relationship, and how do we shift the system so that can be possible for every kid and every teacher? Um, that's the work. And, um, and there, are, um, there are technical problems to be solved. There are political problems to be solved. There are policy problems to be solved. Uh, you know, if you really want um, innovative ideas, um, excellent possibilities for kids, and equitable solutions. And I mean that um, in the broadest sense. Um, you know, I think during the pandemic, we've seen so many examples of kids and families who have really been searching for, you know, kind of a new definition of equity and, and, and opportunity and possibility. Um, and, um, and all of that is a very, very rich soup. It's very difficult stuff to work out, but the only way we can do it is by partnerships like uh, the one we've got right here, where we watch teachers and students invent something that they think is the right thing to do. And then we work around them to say, okay, how come, what's getting in the way and how do we deal with it? <laughs> So I'd like to just kind of ask a question here around, so looking at these two, I mean, I think, you know, as, you know, Claren had mentioned, it's, it's clear to see how complementary that, you know, both of these, these components are, but a question that I would have for both Robin, for both you and Brent, you know, again, if we look at, you know, the next education workforce, right? So implying that the current or past one, right, needed, needed to be rethought, redesigned, you know, reinventing public ed education. So both of these things are focusing on this underlying assumption, right? So if we just broad with, paint with the broadest brush possible, that the current system is broken, flawed, and desperately in need of, of change. But a question I have, and this kind of, I think, relates to the previous questions also about how you work together and how these things, what the excitement here is, is I think it's fairly universally understood that it is broken. But one of the questions I have is, how is it, do you know how it's broken or do you agree in the way or to the extent it is broken? And so it kind of brings me to my question, which is with, or is that in itself such a wicked problem to define the level in the, in the areas of where things aren't working well? So how do you, I'm just kind of sort of curious to kind of peel a little bit closer into, do you see your work as overlapping or in complementary in, in this area? Or how does that, like, you know, you're both setting out with these wonderful ambitions to change the, change this, the, the landscape, change the system of education for better, to reach, to truly sort of um, reach and, and actualize those promises of, you know, uh, of individualized learning for every child and not just some. Um, and, and Robin, to your point that you, we have evidence of what an effective school looks like, but how do we make that available to everybody? So I guess in a long way around that, my question is, is how do you, how do we even agree on what the problem is or how to begin tackling? Like, I mean, this whole eight, you know, that I forget where it came from originally, but that, that saying of, you know, the only way to eat an elephant or something like that is one bite at a time, but where do you bite? How big of a bite do you take? And where do you, how do you decide where to start? Well, I'll, I'll throw in a couple ideas here. And um, as Brent said, you know, I'm ultimately a pragmatist. So I try and stay away from from words like broken, because I think, you know, everybody has a different reaction to some a word like that. But I, I do think we have we have serious problems and opportunities in front of us. And the problems that we see uh, that are very, very much data driven uh, are survey after survey 
um, coming out of the pandemic that, that teachers are, are really, really unhappy. <laughs> you know, um, they're dealing with, um, with significant burnout, stress, um, and um, that, that, that's not that's not new. Um, that this was something that existed pre-pandemic as well. Uh, we have a problem, and um, though we don't see a mass departure of teachers yet, uh, we do see a real problem in attracting new teachers to the profession. So something is wrong there. Um, something is is structurally wrong there because it's not just in one community. It's not just in one state. It is across the board. It points to a model that we've built that's not working for the adults in the system. Um, and the, um, you know, during the pandemic, one of the interesting studies that we did was looking at pandemic pods and learning hubs that kind of existed off the grid um, during, you know, virtual learning. And educators who taught in those spaces were so happy. Um, they were really just thrilled to be able to get back to basics, strong relationships with students, being able to craft instruction to meet their needs, just, you know, kind of really beautiful, joyful places. And so that points then to the opportunity that we see in front of us. Um, uh, so I think, you know, that's where I come from is problem and opportunity. I would co-sign on on everything that Robin just said, maybe not, not, not surprisingly. And I would, I would offer that, that there is this question also about, you know, what, what are we measuring? We, 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 we talk about a, you know, the, the, the sort of the educator outcomes, the satisfaction that, that Robin just described. We could look at measures of student achievement on, um, you know, this is me talking as a parent right now. Uh, I've got two kids. They're like eight and ten. I think about uh, all of the traditional, and uh, I love some of these traditional measures of student achievement. Right, like I want my kids to be able to read and do math well. Um, but I also know that there's so much more that we're also not measuring, or not measuring well, or not building into the models um, that I think are also related to what Robin was describing with these pandemic pods. Like part of the reason that educators were so energized was that yes, like they were also they were focused on the back the basics of uh, sort of the, the the like the core work of teaching, but it was as Robin mentioned, right? Also about the this notion of relationship building of of deepening, um, you know, the caring relationships that we have with students. And when we think about parts of the reasons that people go into this work, for me, it wasn't like teaching stoichiometry. Like I loved stoichiometry. It's like, great. But, and, you know, it's really, it's really about the relationships. A lot of that at the end of the day, both with our, our students, our learners, and also um, with our colleagues. And I think that that's one of the other things that we start seeing is that, you know, at the end of the day, we want, um, Part of the reason I love my job right now is that I get to work collaboratively with super rad people. Like I'm not isolated. You don't ask me to show up to, to, to work every day and sequester myself away from my colleagues uh, for the better part of my work day. Yet this is like what we do every day in most schools across the country. So I think there's an educator workforce piece. I think there's a measurement of like, you know, how are we defining outcomes uh, in a way that um, make our hearts beat quickly. Uh, if we're if we're if we're families, if we're uh, members of the business community, if we're students ourselves, right? And 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 I think that's part of this as well. Is like 
thinking about what matters uh, for our adults and what matters for our, our, our learners, our, our students. I really like both of those um, points mentioning the relationships. I think something that sticks with me, I'm sure you guys all remember from the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, as parents were taking on the the role of being educators in the homes and all the memes going around the no internet. No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right. And, and we had this outburst of empathy and like cheerleading for teachers. They finally got a bit of the respect that has been so long overdue and owed to them. And then yet here we are kind of limping along still throughout this pandemic. And it's almost like that's that's gone. And so, but yet what what I find interesting is you'll see these surveys come out where people will still largely score their own community school or the school where their children go positively, or they'll say they were overall impressed with the, uh, for the most part, with the effort and the communication and the jobs that teachers did during the pandemic. So it's like this misconception of um, data that we hear and experiences that we live. Um, but the relationship piece, I think, is key because parents maybe were communicating more with with teachers of their students than they ever had before. And so I'd like to kind of ask a question again about that relationship piece. Um, Brent, I guess even just thinking about this now through hearing you, the next education workforce was around before the pandemic happened. But how has that changed or how are districts engaging or responding to these ideas of of partnerships or working with teams? Um, Did that change at all post-pandemic or I should say where we are currently in this stage of the pandemic? Or what does that look like? Like un- undeniably, it changed. I mean, there, there's a couple of interesting things. So first of all, for these teams of educators that were coming around shared common rosters of students before the pandemic or in the midst, you know, just just as the pandemic was hitting, what we saw was that, the, I mean, the, the, being a teacher in March of 2020 was like not easy for anyone. And... Those that had already organized themselves as a team of adults were able in many ways to respond to the wild and vast uncertainty of the moment in ways that uh, teachers in one teacher, one classroom, uh, normative models of schooling were not, in part because they literally were able to um, distribute the, the set of responsibilities that were coming at them uh, fast and furiously, right? Ranging from where are my students or our students uh, to uh, how, how do I how do I teach online? Like how how do I run an engaging Zoom uh, lesson? Um, right to to setting up and managing Google Classrooms like overnight. Like you could imagine those three very distinct sets of things that uh, educators were being asked to do and a team of three educators sharing 75 students. uh, In many cases we saw were like literally taking each one of those three chunks and and task shifting, not asking a single educator to be all three of those things uh, overnight. But instead, um, that that people were able to develop some level of special specialization, and and sort of when when all the dust was in the air, uh, and educators got to call more of the shots, I think that they were doing things like organizing themselves in teams where we weren't even working, right? That they were doing the same sort of thing that we saw the very functional teams that we had been working with pre-pandemic start to do. And I like, I'm, I'm really interested in, in what Robin was also seeing in, you know, these, these, these pandemic uh, pods and the, the, the teaching and learning situation, the way that people were organizing themselves uh, 
um, I, I think I think was really inspiring, and it did allow uh, educators to build uh, and prioritize those relationships with students, and to and to think about how do I take this really really tricky situation that we're in, and actually parlay it into something that um, that allows me to feel more connected to my students, more connected to the craft. Uh, and we think that teams helped people to navigate that. And so now, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that we're post-pandemic by any stretch right, of the imagination. Right. <laughs> and uh, what, what we're finding is that there's a lot of interest, in part because I think people got to work in a different way, in part because I think that educators are rightfully demanding a job that has a little more flexibility because they actually got a taste of that. Um you know, by where they were working, the times that they were working, how they were distributing their 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 expertise, uh, and there is a, a crushing in some cases, uh, all too familiar teacher shortage uh, that that people are are grappling with in the communities that they've been grappling with teacher shortages well before the pandemic, right? There hasn't been, I don't think we've seen it yet, any kind of grand great resignation in teaching. But the fact of the matter is, is that when people, you know, more than 50% of the educators are saying the job is unsustainable, I'm going to retire sometime in the next two years. And whether they do or not is actually beside the point. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is that if we're listening to our educators, we're hearing, nope, this job is not set up for success. And so how do we, how do we create a job that we want people to run into as opposed to from, uh, and and I think we've got lots of lessons to learn from the places that Robin and team were studying. Yeah. I think, you know, Robin, you had mentioned, you know, that that was one of the key issues is that there's not enough people entering the field um, and sort of coming in. And so kind of building off of what of, of what Brent had just said there, like from your perspective, um, you know, and through the center there during the pandemic, you know, what, what have you, have you seen things that are, that are optimistic in or opportunities to, to do exactly that? Like as Brent was saying is like some people who were already in that profession got a taste and have in some ways, you know, yes, there's like this duality, right. Of the crushing <laughs> over just absolutely crushing amount of responsibility and stress and uncertainty and all of those things that came along. But it also sounds like what was, what was, um, you know, recognizable was also some some excitement about having that autonomy to try new things and, and feel things out and, and kind of move in that direction. So I guess, Robin, I would be curious from your perspective and from the center, like during this, during your work in those pandemics, and you mentioned like the, the pods and the things like that, you know, where, where is there some excitement or some, or some, you know, um, optimistic opportunities to, to, to turn, where are we going to get new, new, new young minds who are like, I would like, I want to go into that. You know, because I'm there here because the danger that I see and I feel it, uh, you know, in my household alone, we're we have a house uh, filled with educators. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, like Brent, you mentioned, you hear people who have been in there who are seasoned educators saying this is not this is not tenable. This is I'm going to retire. This is so we're hearing that on the one end. There's this, you know, lack of people going into the profession on the other hand. So we're you know, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> Robin, Robin, help. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of rays of optimism. So, um, but let me start by challenging the notion a little bit that the, that the goal is to get more um, people into the model that we built. 
because I think what we saw in the pandemic was all of those um, those ideas were just blown up. Um, you know, who is a teacher? What do teachers do? Um, who is a team? I mean, all of it was just, it was gone. And that playground of possibility is where I think we need to focus. And I think what it tells us is um, the, the opportunity is not just to bring people in to sign up to be a teacher in the way that we've, we've designed it through certification and, and all of that, um, but to, the ways to leverage expertise and teaching, uh, teaching partners in new ways. And so one of the things I think was so exciting about what we saw in pandemic learning pods and hubs were community organizations mentors, after-school providers, people with real expertise and connections to kids um, that could think about um, ways to engage kids if they were doing virtual learning or if they were doing pod work or, you know, whatever their, their learning was, but to really fire them up and um, maybe even translate what they were hearing into their home language so they could engage with it in a new way call their auntie if um, there was a behavioral issue and, and start mapping out, you know, what's going on with this kid. And, um, and that's where I think the excitement lies, right, is, you know, there are this whole host of community assets, as I think of them, that were brought to the table um, during that period. And then as soon as things got, got, got back to, you know, sort of normal and kids were back in buildings, we said, okay, thanks. We, are, we got this. And it was all up to the teacher then. <laughs> Like, why is that a good idea? And right. now there are challenges there and there are ways that we have to, you know, kind of solve for, you know, building up those connections and, and the expertise, um, the, the behavioral strategies of, of folks who are working with kids outside of the traditional school building. But the possibilities are endless. Um, we think about little kids. Um, it's, you know, kind of exciting to think about, you know, I can call your auntie. <laughs> Um, but for older kids at the high school level, when we think about ways that we could kind of reimagine who's teaching and where and why, um, you know, career relevant learning, um, learning that happens outside the traditional school day so that kids can go to work if they have to during the school day. These are all the kinds of experimentation and opportunity that I think we should be playing with. And I should say that there are many school districts out there that are starting to play in this space. They've seen these things, they've seen these discoveries, and they've said, huh, how can we actually bring in some of these ideas and experiment with them, think about new configurations of teaching that go beyond our traditional definition of who teaches and how, um, and, um, and really deliver on the promise of um, you know, an education that works for every kid, no matter the circumstance. I like the optimism. Sean, do you want to take them to a futures kind of scenario one? Since yeah, we're on the learning sure. futures podcast here. That's true. Well, we can't, you, that's right. You can't, we can't escape talking about the futures on learning futures podcast. So, uh, so, so yes. Yeah, so this is an invitation for you to join me here in this, this, uh, I guess we can sort of transition here to this last segment, if you will, um, to play a little around with some futures. Um, so if we, let's think about this, let's take a step away from the present. Um, we can climb into our, our, our branded learning futures time machine for a moment. Uh, we'll turn the little timey wimey space time dial, um, to a, a time that I like to use often in sort of these futures, 
uh, thinking is about 30 years. Um, so let's go forward uh, 30 years from now. Um, and as we open these doors, emerging in the year 2052, describe to me and to all listeners and to everybody, what do we see? What do we see in 2052? Uh, you know, in terms of, I mean, you can do, yes, we can talk generically, but also, but more specifically, what do we, what is the, what is the system of education? What is, what is the next education workforce? Or by then it's hopefully the now education workforce <laughs> or something, right? Like, what does that look like in 30 years? How do we know? What does that look like? And, you know, or, or even, you know, alternatively, what do we hope we don't see? Maybe sometimes that's an easier place to start, but I would challenge what, what does it look like in 30 years? What are, if we've done our jobs well, um, and things that the things that we're ambitious about, the things that we are working towards, if they come to fruition, what, what do we hope we will see then as a result, as this plays out over the next couple of decades? I love, I love these sorts of questions. Uh, maybe Robin, we could like, uh, we could, we could, we could go fast and I'll, I'll, I'll like, you know, say a sentence or two and, and then you can say a sentence or two and then I'll, then I'll, then I'll say a sentence or two. So I would, um, I would think that the notion of showing up to a quote unquote place, like a school, a brick and mortar school is like something that we forgot about, you know, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, that learning is happening everywhere and it is valued as such. Yeah. And I'll, um, I feel like this is that little thing. It's that like you that around the game. Yeah. That we <laughs> get a couple sentences and then somebody adds. On. <laughs> um, right. So um, it's not a place, but it's, there's a coherent set of opportunities for kids, right? So um, there are diverse possibilities and pathways to meet every kid's need. School buildings um, exist and there are rich sets of resources for kids. But, you know, if a particular passion for, um, for music can't be met in that building, there are easy um, strategies, teachers and, and pathways for kids to tap into those things where their parents don't have to buy them outside of school, don't have to go searching for a good teacher. That's all in the mix. Career opportunities, social emotional learning, mental health. It's, it's everywhere, but it's packaged and it's coherent and somebody manages that portfolio of learning opportunities for kids. Yeah. And that it, it doesn't stop when you're, uh, you know, quote unquote, done with school, that, that this notion of, uh, you know, kind of a learner uh, profile backpack of everything that you're, you're sort of acquiring, it, it, it lives with you. Right now, we talk about this notion of specialization and, and advancement for educators, but, it, you know, it's, it actually is, it kind of hangs together in a coherent way. Uh, and that, that we're really underscored the notion that you're never done. Like, yeah, like there are waypoints and we celebrate those, certainly, because I think that'd be weird if we lost something like, you know, graduation. Uh, I don't know. I think it's helpful to sometimes have those markers. I probably need more of them in my life, uh, <laughs> points of celebration. But and uh, yeah, the, the, the idea, the idea that that, yeah, we're we're never done learning and that there's ample and really kind of cool opportunity to to do that in ways that are both uh you know high tech and high touch we talk about that that combo <laughs> yep. uh, right where 
yeah, you know, I step into some of like my kids' VR worlds now and I'm like, whoa, this is pretty trippy. You know, and it's like 2022. And I just imagine like what that actually looks like. And at the same time, you know, like a paper newspaper is is kind of cool. I, I'd like to throw one out, um, kind of getting rid of the the disciplines. Like the only comparable I can think of right now is more like a problem-based learning, but where we don't have kids who say, I don't like math or I don't want to go into anything with STEM. They don't even know the difference because everything they're working on is so much more integrated and they're thinking about challenges and problems. That's something I would like to see. Just to build on that, Clarine, I think, you know, I think of it as the challenges as boundary spanning mm. uh, solutions for kids. Um, we're not locked into discipline. We're not locked into gifted special ed kinds of boxes. Kids don't fall in neatly into boxes. Right. Um, to your point, Brent, we don't, um, we don't think of high school as something that ends and then good luck. Um, there are permeable relationships between high school, college, and career. And we expect that kids are going to need to be um, learning and retooling for the future on a pretty regular basis. And so our funding and our policies can su- support that that resiliency and that opportunity and that diversity of need. Hmm, I like that. I was just reading an article today about school funding, which is a whole other topic that I won't try to get us off of. But I think because we do, we have historically put everything in boxes and labels and disciplines and our budgeting is the same. It just follows that. So if there's more flexibility, we wouldn't be chasing all these boxes with other boxes of restricted things. So yeah, I like that thought a lot, Robin. So so here's another hot take for everybody (laughs) to provide. So Let's, so as we're standing here, let's, we've come back from our trip, you know, we've come back from uh, 2052 and we're sitting here and lo and behold, another time machine materializes right before our very eyes. This time, this is from a colleague of ours who has traveled forward from their past 30 years ago. So quick sort of, you know, news bulletin flash responses, right? Somebody from May 17th, 1992 has arrived has arrived today. What do you think they would say? Are they pleased with where we are in terms of comparing where we are today to where where things sat and stood in, you know, 1992? I'd go back even further, you know, and and say um, uh, my grandmother went to school in you know, the 1920s. Uh, if she were fast forwarding right now, I think she'd be saying, what? How, how is it that everything looks the same? I mean, we are we are more similar to the 1920s, 1900s um, than different. Um, and my God, the world has changed in such dif- such such dramatically different ways, and will continue to. Uh, it is really time for us to get serious about doing things differently. I think I think the world's going to force it on us. I mean, this is like this is where I like you know d- d- nosedive into some sort of existential spiral, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, my background is as a forest fire ecologist, not as a, you know, a classroom teacher. And I think that, you know, the, the you talk about problem-based learning, like the fall of democracy or the uh, climate crisis, uh, this is going to get super real. And uh, it's not just about, you know, rising sea levels, but it's about the displacement of humans uh, in, in, in massive ways and that we will be um, 
you know, needing to, to think about and tackle uh, problems that, uh, you know, this pandemic that we are currently in that I, I feel, um, you know, as, as, as sort of ravaging as it has been, the fact, like, I feel like <laughs> this is the biologist in me. I'm like, you know, uh, we, this is like, this isn't like, it could be a lot worse, right? And it probably will again in our lifetime as we think about shrinking biodiversity and habitat and the things that we know that accelerate things like pandemics. The problems that we face are often of human creation, but the optimist in me also believes that they are, um, you know, of human human solution as well. And therefore, um, the, the, the role of education and ultimately why I continue to be in this field as opposed to climate science, forest fire ecology, or, you know, chasing bats around somewhere uh, is, uh, is because I believe that we're not going to fix this unless we actually figure it out from a, from a teaching and learning perspective. And that we've got to be creating a citizenry that is truly global in, uh, in their vantage and that um, that they are equipped as problem solvers uh, because I think the problems are going to come at us faster and more furiously than they ever have. And we need a, a citizenry, a global citizenry that can actually respond in the moment in ways that, uh, to Robin's point, if we're still thinking in 1920 terms, um, we're going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah. Well, I think so. So that brings me to the, my last prompt, right? So let's we'll, we'll hop back in our time machine and we'll we'll really we'll juice the dial here. Let's go to a hundred years. So, and barring some you know massive revelation in medical sciences, the, none of us will see that day, right? Uh, I think that's fair to say, hundred years from today. So twenty one, twenty two. All right, we fast forward at this time. And Brent, to your point, as we kind of think about, you know what are the things that we have to change? I, I think back to, to your initial, one of the things that you kind of started us off with talking about feeling like you were turning the wrong dials and then decided you figured out that no matter how many dials you turned in this one area, that wasn't the solution. So you went to find a different, a different pathway to, to find solutions. So my question is it's 2020, 21, 22. Um, will we still be needing to reinvent public education in 21, 22? Um, is this something we are ever finished with? Um, Brent, to your point, the system of education is 100% human created. Therefore, we have 100% the opportunity to fix and change it. It is not a natural occurring thing. Uh, we made it. We can, we can control it and we can um, change it. But I think, as you've noted with some other issues, um, if you look around, lots and lots of other things, sometimes the the, the, the human element is the most difficult thing to change. Um, so hundred years from now, where are we? What are we looking at? What do we like? What are we seeing? <laughs> Let's end that optimistic note. What's <laughs> no, working? Not, not to angle it by their responses at all. <laughs> yeah, no. right. That was, that was a good preemptive strike there. Uh, you know, is, uh, no, the, the existential one is easy. That's easy. Yeah, right. Like, That's we're not, like, the optimism is we're still here on this earth. Yes, thank you. Kids to educate. <laughs> really, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I'm totally with Brent and his, uh, his last statement. I mean, um, the future is, is a profound, unknowable thing right now. Uh, we have to build education for uncertainty, change. Those things are the new normal. Uh, now, you know, 
uh, it's up to us what we do about that. Um, shame on us if we get even 50 years down the line and we haven't prepared in any way for that, for that reality. Uh, I think it's just been foist upon us. It was a wake-up call. Uh, the rigidities in the system revealed themselves. The inability for the system to respond to student, family, and educator needs was right there in front of us. What scares me is I see people clawing back to normal. It's a natural human instinct, uh, you know, completely understandable. We all want our kids to be in school with friends. Great. But now is the time for us to grapple with these realities looking forward and get ready for them. And um, we can do it. So, you know, what, where will we be? The answer depends on what we do. Hmm. I like that. I can't do any better than that. Yeah, that's a really good one to end on. <laughs> yeah. And it's an interesting, I mean, one of the things that I, I work a lot about and think about is obviously in the futures and future studies in the fourth industrial revolution. And I mean, even thinking some of the the possible, you know, changes in automation across the, you know, I mean, yes, we've seen automation in some of like manufacturing and industry, but as those kind of work into also information jobs um, in the future as well, again, taking this time scale of a hundred years, you know, there's a lot of interesting scenarios that start to play out that really question, you know, what will the role of whether it be a K-12 school or higher education, what will the role look like when things change? For example, if we have universal basic income and things, the pathway from, you know, education to a career or to, you know, a, a standard of living shifts from what it is today, right? How does, what do those ripples do, right? So a lot of times we're looking at all these different speculative pieces, but it's a, it's a really fun space to start to think about. But I think, you know, Robin, I think to your point, the thing that gives me the most hope that we're able to build with all of these things that we're doing here at the teachers college and at other institutions and organizations around the globe, not just in the United States either is working about how do we handle uncertainty? How do we handle, how do we build in for resiliency in the face of this uncertainty so that we can make those changes? So as these things unfold and as new eras of technology allow for, for what, for different things, right? For, Personally, you know, a massive, you know, highly sophisticated personal assistant that is able to provide just-in-time learning for every learner in the exact pedagogical framework that they need with you taking into account all these sort of, which now we can prescribe as some of like futuristic approach in some ways. But when, if something were like that to happen, how can we change? How can we, you know, make those, those things always with this aim of trying to enhance the, the, you know, the learning and, and education system for everybody, uh, taking into account the vulnerable populations that we know as, as different, you know, industrial eras have gone by, you know, it is not equally distributed. The advancements and, and affordances that come out of these things are not equally distributed and often further kind of wedge that gap between those who have and those who have not. So as we're playing a part of that, how do we also build these systems to be, uh, prepared for that to hopefully mitigate those sort of things so that we don't just end up in this, you know, easy sci-fi dystopian uh, existential existence. Cause that's, you know, uh, while easy, it's also, um, you know, you can see how pathways go there. So, you know, it's just, again, a call back to the work that both of you are doing and how just, you know, I think I can speak for Clarin and myself, I think for this, it's just how, you know, how proud we are to be, a, you know, to be colleagues of yours, to be part of this college working towards this, you know, you know, amazing aim to try to, to try to do what we can while we're here to make things better. 
Yeah. So thank you guys both for joining us today. Um, and as we close this out, we are going to add certain things to the show notes so people can find out some more information about the areas in which both of you work. But as we close this, is there any last thoughts, comments, or things you'd like to plug, either work or projects um, that we can add? You can go to our website and see, you know, 30 years of work that we've been plugging away on. I would, I would um, encourage people based on this conversation to zoom into our pandemic learning research, pandemic pods, et cetera, where we're kind of stringing out what we've seen, the discoveries we've seen and, and where they might lead. Uh, we're putting out a report um, at the beginning of the school year called the State of the American Student that will kind of put this all together and, and talk about the leapfrog um, possibilities, but also, you know, where kids are and where we need to go from here. And then uh, the other thing I'd say is um, pre-pandemic, we produced a report called Thinking Forward, where we tried to think about, you know, what are the jobs of the future? What are the environmental realities of the future? What are the equity challenges of the future? And, and what kinds of system solutions do we need to start thinking about and designing around very much on this conversation? Sounds great. Thank you. Brent, anything on your end? I mean, I would I would say, go to our website. Uh, <laughs> but in particular, there, I think that one of the, the the most interesting aspects of it are the the school profiles that actually show, um, not tell what's happening um, in the uh, in the, the the classrooms and the learning environments. Uh, with the schools and districts with whom we're lucky enough to work and to actually see how teams of educators are coming around these shared rosters of students and that educators are leveraging their distributed expertise to, to, to really push on this notion of a broader set of student outcomes. Because to connect up my sort of last uh, couple of thoughts and, and what we're doing right now, this idea of creativity uh, this idea of self-directed learners, this idea of um, the teacher being uh, way more of a guide and way less of a, a sort of a dumper of knowledge, I think are, are the sorts of moves that need to be happening. And, and by teacher, I should really say educator, because we also are not pretending that a single individual, but rather a team coming from the community coming from uh, people that we typically think of as classroom educators are helping to uh, build within themselves and within the, the young uh, learners, the habits of mind that are going to allow them to tackle these really vexing challenges uh, that I think that we will continue to face uh, as a society. So if we believe in a democratic imperative, if we believe uh, in an economic imperative, if we believe in an equity imperative, I think that we have to be thinking more broadly about the, the outcomes uh, that we hold ourselves accountable to, uh, both for uh, our learners, for our educators. And uh, to be able to do this work with y'all uh, is incredibly fun and exciting. And uh, thanks for, for letting us hang out and think about the future with you. Thank you both. Well, Sean, Robin, Brent, that's a wrap. Thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> You've been listening to the Learning Futures Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and details. If your podcast player allows for reviews, please leave us one and let the world know what you think. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. The Learning Futures podcast is produced at the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. 
Executive producer is Dr. Sean Leahy, and the show is produced by Dr. Clarin Collins and Karina Munoz-Baltazar, with technical production provided by Jacob Snyder. <laughs>